right? Good morning, everybody. I'm sorry, I was waiting for the drum roll there, but. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, good morning, and, and, and what a pleasure it is for you and I to be with you today. I'm always amazed when I get these invitations at my age to preach, and Simon, my dear old friend, has invited me along today, and I do appreciate him and Jillian their family and it's a great joy to be here again at this little church. So thank you for having me with you today. Now um, I want you to keep your Bibles open at that section which has just been read to us from Luke chapter 23 and I want to talk to you about the purposes of the cross. Cross purposes is what the title of the message is and I want to present you with four uh, outcomes of the cross that I think are important for us to remember on this Good Friday morning. But let me start by making reference also to the Notre Dame fire that we're also aware of this past week, as I has done earlier, because I don't think there will be a pulpit in the world today that won't make a reference to that in some way. And uh, my reference comes from an Australian newspaper, an Australian newspaper called um, The Spectator. Now, I don't have it with me, I can't quote verbatim, but the author of the article, who I assume is also not a believer, although I don't know for sure, uh, makes some very poignant comments about this particular incident that took place, the story that occurred um, in this past week. And he makes the point that all around the world, the burning of the, of the cathedral will be symbolic in people's minds of the decline of religion and the decline of the religious value system and the Christian belief in mostly Europe, which has become almost pagan, he says, around the world, although there will be many millions of people who will pay a nominal lip service when you say, are you a Christian? They'll say yes, but in actual fact, the nation has gone into decline. And then he makes an interesting reference to the French Revolution of 1789, where he says the cathedral also became a centre of attraction. And there, the cathedral was wrecked and damaged, and uh, during the revolution, which tried to overthrow the church, they put up a statue in the altar uh, and the statue was, co- was, was called the Goddess of Reason. So reason overthrew the church during the French Revolution but of course the church was spared. But during that time 5,000 clergymen were killed and thousands of others chased from the country. Churches were looted and burnt, all their treasures and all of their historical artefacts were removed and nobody was allowed to preach the gospel during those days. But of course, as we know, all these things always fail. But the Spectator article went on to point out that during these last few years, in one week alone, there were five different major uh, churches or or, 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 um, cathedrals uh, attacked across the country just in one day alone by various people doing various things. And churches have constantly been targeted, indicating the change in in, in what's happening in Europe at this point in time and how Christians are always coming under the whip. And so it seems that even the secular press is realising how unacceptable Jesus is to a large portion of the, of the world today while he's still the saviour to many, many other people. He also points out something we denied in Regia. Now some people laughed when they saw the, the cathedral burning, just like they did when the, when, when the towers went down in America years ago. Then he makes this point, which I end this little uh, illustration. He says, when they rebuild the temple, uh, the, uh, I beg your pardon, when they rebuild the church, when they rebuild the cathedral, 
Will they remember the value systems and the beliefs that gave rise to it in the first place? He asks that question. And I suppose for all of us we would ask that question too. But it is an indication to us of how Jesus is viewed in the world today. And when we come to Good Friday and we come to the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, we know that this event causes a huge divide in the world. It has from the beginning and it does to this day. Whether they burn down your church or don't burn down your church, the Lord Jesus Christ, even on this day, will cause a huge, a huge divide between people around the world, including here in our country, where some will believe in him and some will not, and some will think it doesn't matter at all in any event. But my duty this morning is to take you back, not to the story of the Notre Dame burning, but rather to take you back to the greatest story ever told, and that's the story of a saviour who came into the world so that we might be saved and reunited with God. Now, it's a very great story, the story of the Gospel, and we should not forget that the story does not begin in the, in the Gospels itself, but the story begins way back in the Old Testament and is unfolded as the Old Testament history is revealed so that we, when we get to the New Testament, we can understand what is happening on the cross. Without the Old Testament that behind us, and without all the promises of God and the prophecies and the stories and the, and the narratives of the Old Testament, and especially without the book of Genesis, we would not really understand what is happening on the cross. And so here we've got this great and wondrous story that God takes 66 books to expound to us. It's a wonderful story of a wonderful person who came into the world to do the most wonderful thing for us so that we might worship the most wonderful God and have a most wonderful future and a hope. And so this is the greatest news of all. And so the burning of the cathedral is bad news in terms of world events, but what we celebrate today is the greatest news of all. And I think the great Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a very great preacher some time ago, he made the point that there are many Christians who say, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, what a tragedy. Well, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, what a sad thing to happen, what an indication of the hatred of men. Well, some of those things may be true, but Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Jesus Christ dying on the cross is the greatest news in the world. It is what he came to do. And when people opposed that, he rebuked them. When his own disciples opposed it, he rebuked them because this is what he came to do, to have a Jesus who comes into our world and a Jesus who does the things that he does, a Jesus who can walk on water and open the eyes of the blind, a Jesus who can feed the multitude, a Jesus who can raise the dead, but in the end dies forever on the cross. He's no saviour for us. And so therefore, the Jesus that we believe in is the Christ of the cross who died and rose again from the dead. And that is what we celebrate this weekend. Now I want to suggest that the story of the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying for us and then rising from the dead um, poses four, it, it answers four questions that are often posed in our world today and I'll mention them to you. And the first one is, how in the wide world can I be forgiven? Now you may think to yourself that not many of your friends are asking that question and you may think to yourself that's not a question that you often ask yourself. How in the wide world can I be forgiven? Forgiven for what? Sometimes people can't even answer that question. Forgiven for their sins, just for what sins? Forgiven for my temper, forgiven what I did to my family, for, for, forgiven what I've, I've done to myself, all the wrong things I've done in my life. How in the wide world can I be forgiven? Now my friends, I want to remind you 
to, to, I want to remind you that you are never to forget that in the hearts of most people that you speak to, there lies residues of guilt. That's the way it is today. And many of the friends that I've had in, in the medical profession over my long years of ministry, many of them have indicated to me that what these people needed was help to understand themselves spiritually. There's a tremendous burden of guilt in many parts of the world today. And uh, you may remember that about a month ago there was another story, or about six weeks ago, another story on BBC News particularly, about the largest religious gathering ever in the history of the world. And it took place on the banks of the river Ganges in England, when 120 million people came together so they could go through a ceremony together and wash in the river Ganges. And what did they do that for? They did that because they all had a burden of guilt. And the more they splashed water over themselves and ducked under the water, and the more they got into the water, the more they thought their sins were being forgiven. The forgiveness of sins is a very real problem to many people. And it may be to somebody who is here. I remember many years ago as a young, very young minister, having to deal with a lady that was then very much older. She was a lady well into her 80s, and she had terminal cancer, and she was dying, and she was in the last days of her death, and I managed uh, to get alongside of her bed because the family were very anti her speaking to any, anyone from the church at that time. And uh, as I began to speak to her, she began to mumble. This is what she said over and over and over again. She said, will he forgive me? Will he forgive me? Will he forgive me? I could get no other word out of her. And the more I tried to explain the gospel and read the gospel texts to her, she said, will he forgive me? Will he forgive me? And all her life she had lived with the sin and with the guilt of a sin she had committed as a young woman and she couldn't shake it. And so that even on her deathbed it haunted her. Now it may not be the same with everybody. That's how many people do struggle and go through life. There's a great struggle to know whether or not they can be clean inside. They can be right inside. They can feel centered again. They can feel good inside. Many people are like that today. And so I want to point out two things that happened here on the cross in relation to that. First of all, you remember the Lord Jesus Christ in his prayer on the cross, he asks God to do something for the people who crucified him. And what was that? It was to forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And so here is the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross asking the Father to forgive the very people who in their blind rage and fury and hatred of him were putting him on a cross who were executing him, who were identifying him with criminals, who in today's world, um, if, if it was still happening, would put him in the electric chair or hang him or, or line him up against a wall and shoot him with an AK-47. That is what they were doing on the cross. It was an instrument of execution. That's what the cross was. It was reserved for the very worst of criminals. And here was the most innocent of men dying with the worst of men and praying for the very people who put him there. He asked for forgiveness for his enemies. And we know that later on, one of the soldiers who put him on the cross knelt at that very cross and looked at him and said, Truly this man was the Son of God, and our Lord's forgiveness was extended to him. And then there was something else that happened on the cross, and you remember the little conversation that takes place between the two men who were crucified with Jesus. The one mocks Jesus and says, If you were the Son of Man, why didn't you take us off the cross? You see, he represents all of the people in the world today who turn to God to get something out of him. That's what they want. They, want, they all want God's treasures. They all want God's things. They all want God's, the privileges of, of, of being in touch with God. They all want God to be there for them. 
but they don't want God himself. If you were the Son of God, get us off this cross. If you were the Son of God, then relieve my suffering. If you were the Son of God, answer my prayers. If you were the Son of God, pay my rent. If you were the Son of God, help me in my life with all the struggles that I'm having. But you remember the other man saw something else and he rebuked his friend and said, aren't you ashamed of yourself? You know that you are guilty, I'm guilty, we are here because we deserve it. But this man has done nothing wrong and then turning to Jesus, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a very telling phrase. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, today you will be with me in my kingdom. But he called his kingdom paradise. That was the interim word for the kingdom that's eventually going to come. Paradise. And so on the cross we've got these two great illustrations of forgiveness. But you will notice that they are connected with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said that he's coming to give his life as a ransom for the world. To pay the price of the debt that we owe to the justice of God. Who do we owe the debt to? We owe our debt, our moral debt, to the justice of God who created a world that was perfect in every way and we as a human race have ruined and spoiled his world, rebelled against him and chosen our own law, our own rules over and above that of our creator. Jesus also said in John chapter 10 verse 10, I've come to give life and to give it more abundantly. And so the one, so the, the one, the one criminal gets no life and the other criminal gets to enter into life with the Lord Jesus Christ as he dies. Can I be forgiven? The answer is yes. And the cross is an illustration of the fact that forgiveness is possible in our mixed up world today. And God knows that there are many people whose lives are so twisted. Many people whose lives are so mixed up. Many people whose lives are, are, are such a mess. And, and, and they live with such confusion and conflict in their lives. They live with such regrets and such sorrow in their lives. There's no there's no sense of, of joy in their lives. There's no sense of having any purpose in this world. There's no sense of, of, of possessing that which my heart tells me I ought to be possessing. And so they live their lives like that and they go to their graves like that. Whereas in the world today, in every church, in every pulpit, in every Bible, there is the Lord Jesus Christ who says, I've come to give my life a ransom for you. I've come to give you life. And it's all bound up with him. You won't find it in the church itself or in the building itself, in some ways the, the burning of the Notre Dame is an illustration that salvation is ultimately not found in the building itself. The building is just an architectural feature. That's all it is. But at the end of the day, it stands for something. And some of you may have seen that amazing photograph that emerged out of the ruins of that building when they went inside and the sun shone down through the ruins and all the ruins were in darkness, but right in the center of the cross stood lit up in the sunlight. The cross will never fail you. The Lord Jesus Christ in his death on the cross will forgive every sin, forgive us for every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong deed, all the regrets that we have, all the sorrows we have for the things that have happened, all the things we wish we'd never said, never done. It'll all be forgiven if we come to the Saviour. Because that's what he died for. We can't go to heaven with our guilt. We can't go to heaven with our sins. We can't go to heaven with the wrong things we've done undealt with. It's got to be dealt with. And this is the thing. You've only got this one life in which to deal with it. And the only way in which you can be dealt with this in this life is to go to the cross. Not the church or the minister who may be helpful to you, but to the cross of the Lord Jesus where he died as a sacrifice, as an atonement for us, paid a ransom for our sins. Can you be forgiven? Can you be forgiven what you said to your family member this morning or your loved one this morning or your brother or your sister or the person at work? Can you be forgiven? Yes, you can.
Can you be forgiven for the terrible thing you did a couple of years ago that still sits in your mind? Yes, you can. Can you be forgiven for, for the years in which you've lived in a, a vile life without God at all? Can you be forgiven? Yes, you can. Can you be forgiven for all the years of doubt and arguing and, and, and atheism and rebellion against God? Can you be forgiven? The answer is yes. And you find that yes strict, starkly written onto the page of the scriptures when you look at the story of the two thieves on the cross. Yes, Jesus can forgive us and our sins can be forgiven. There's another question that the world often poses today. It's the second question and it's this one. How can people ever live together? How can we get people to live together? That's a great query in people's minds today. And why is it a query? Because you know yourself, because you read your newspapers, you read, you read your media, you, 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 you're in touch with things out there. So you'll know that there's not a country in the world without its conflict. There are ethnic conflicts all over the place. There are ideological conflicts all, all over the place. There are personal conflicts all over the place. There are massive conflicts that take place on a global scale across the nations of the world. There are terrible conflicts that take place in chambers where all the leaders of the world sit together around the table and they can't get on together. They can't get on together and even across the breakfast table we can't get on together. We fight and we're in conflict all the time. How do people ever get to live together? Can we ever solve the problem of, of, of Israel and, 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 and the Arabs? Can we ever solve that problem? Can we ever solve the problem of the, of the migrants moving into Europe or the migrants moving into our country or, or, or moving anywhere in the world? Can, can there ever be a time? Can, can, is it possible that there is some power, some dynamic in the world that can help us to care for each other and love each other and be concerned for each other and accept each other. And when we come to the story of the cross, we see again these two thieves illustrating this very principle for us. Because you see, the cross was reserved for people not like Jesus. Jesus was not like the people on the cross. The cross was reserved for the very worst of humanity. The cross was an invention, did you know, of the Persian era. It wasn't invented by the Romans. It had been going on for years and years in the history of the world up until that time. And it was such a terrible death to die and such, and such a humiliating death to die that it was reserved for the worst of people and also for foreigners, mainly for foreigners. It was not reserved for people who were Roman citizens. It was not reserved for people who were in good standing with Rome. It was reserved for those who were outside of, of the boundaries. They were the marginalised, they were the hated, they were the other. That was the other. They were the ones who went to the cross. So when this, this Jewish peasant, Jesus Carpenter, goes to the cross, he does not go as a murderer or a thief or a liar. He goes as the greatest man who ever lived. He goes as the one man who's never said a wrong word. One man who's never thought a wrong thought. One man who's never done a wrong deed. Why, well, you know, those hands that they've been to the cross, those were the hands, those were the hands that, touched, that reached out and touched a beggar and healed him. Those were the hands that reached down to Simon Peter's mother and took her up from the bed and said, get up. Those were the hands that reached down to a little girl who was dead and said, Delitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. Those were the hands that were nailed to the cross. Now, how in the wide world do we as a human race ever get to live together? And the answer, dear friends, is very simple. In one way, and very profound in another. On one level, it'll never be possible because we are all Christians. We are, we are all un, uh, sinners and unbelievers. And we are all people who make mistakes and all people who, by nature, hate the other. That's how we are. 
And it will always be like that until Jesus comes. There will be wars and rumors of wars, said the Lord Jesus Christ. People who love each other don't go to war. So there will always be hatred in the world until Jesus comes. But is it possible for people to live together? And the answer is yes. Because here was Jesus. He was the other. And there were the two criminals. Probably foreigners. Probably people from outside of the ranks of the cities and the domain of Rome who had been caught either rebelling against Rome or murdering or robbing or whatever they were doing because the man said, we are here justly. We deserve to be here, said the one thief. And so they were probably doing the thing they shouldn't be doing. They were not the people you want your daughter to meet. They were not the people you'd bring home for dinner. They were not the people you'd be friends with. They were the other. But the Lord Jesus Christ with his outstretched hands embraces all who come to him. And so the one man who is one of the other says to him, remember me, and Jesus remembers him. And the other man who is full of bitterness and wants God just to come through for him so that he can be free from the suffering, gets nothing. But is it possible? Yes, it's possible because the man who turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, remember me, was taken into our Lord's kingdom. And we read from the book of Revelation that our Lord's kingdom is made up from people from all four corners of the earth. It's made up of people from every tribe and every nation. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ shows us how we can live together. It's when we come together on the basis of a common faith in Him that we're able to accept each other. We're able to see God's image in each other. We're able to accept each other's differences. We're able to value each other's cultures. We're able to to extend the hand of love and friendship and brotherhood and sisterhood to each other and say, you belong to me and I belong to you. We are brothers. That's what we are. And so I want to say to you that to the question, is it possible for human beings to live together? I say, yes it is. But but the centre of that possibility lies in faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus, who takes away not only our sin, but gives us new natures whereby we can reach out to each other and embrace each other and say, you belong to me and I belong to you. We belong to the same family. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to the world's problem of separation today. Whether they will listen to him, of course we don't think that they will, but some people may, but we do know that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will come, and when he comes it will be proven that the cross was the instrument for which people can be together for all eternity, no matter where they come from or what their social status or standing may be. That's the second question I wanted to say to you that the cross answers. And then the third question that I want to mention to you is this one. Can we ever have hope in the world? And of course that is a question that many people today ask in one way or another. Can we ever have hope in the world? A lot of people live, and in our country it's true as well, many of you will know this, whether you are a South African or you are a Spaniard or you're here for some other reason, or if you live here, you will know that subliminally there's a sense of depression in our country. That's why so many people are immigrating at the moment. We have a friend who went to try, trying to get papers for immigration the other, the other day and he said the crowds were just unbelievable of people trying to immigrate to get out of the country. Now we're facing elections, we're facing all sorts of rhetoric from the different parties uh, that are vying for the elections and we, we kind of say, what's going to happen to South Africa? What's going to happen to this country? What is, what, how will we live in the future? Is there really any hope? Because wherever you go today, there's trouble and there's hardship. I have another friend who travels extensively around the world and uh, he says to me that every time he gets on a plane back to South Africa he heaves a great sigh of relief. 
He travels around Europe and America. He says, there you've got to be so careful about what you say because people take offense at every little thing, every little mistake you make, every, every unintended comment you make. That you, you, you know, you get taken, you get taken apart because, because there's, there's, it's that kind of mood in the country today. You see, when I come to South Africa, what did he say? He said, I can build a church under any tree I wish. I can go worship under any rock that I wish. I can go talk about the Lord Jesus Christ wherever I want to. So people have got different views about how they live in this world. But the great question is, can we at the end of the day, no matter what the differences are, can we ever have hope? And once again, you can see the reflections of the answer in what happens here on, on the cross. You know, we have to say nothing seems to help. That's why the man on the cross said, if you are the Son of God, then get us off this, get us out of this mess. Take us off the cross. Get us out of this problem. Get us out of, get some help to us. Get us out of this problem. So he wasn't interested in, in, in truth or salvation or eternal life, but purely the things of this life to get out of the mess so he can get on with his own life. Many people say, well, the only way to make the place better is to have another revolution. But my friends, not revolutions that we need, it's revelation that we need. And this is what is given to us here in the cross. And so the other man says to Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You know what he's saying? He's saying, I know that you're going to rule someday. That's why I'm calling it a kingdom. A kingdom as a king. I see, I see behind the blood. I see beyond the blood. I see beyond the nails, the crown of thorns. I, I see beyond that. You're a king. In some way his eyes were opened and he saw who Jesus Christ really was. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, well, you will be with me in my kingdom today. And now because that man said that and because Jesus answered him in that way, we have an inkling that something more is to come. And those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even if we had no other passage of scripture, we could look at this little passage and say, Jesus is the king of a kingdom. Where's the kingdom? If it's true, that kingdom is still going to come. And so Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And so we know that the Bible teaches us that the crucified Christ on the cross, who rose to life again a few days later, and finally ascended to heaven, is going to come back again, and is going to re-establish his kingdom here in this world. He is going to have a kingdom, and the kingdom is going to be something that we can't even begin to imagine. It will be made up of the most glorious and wondrous grace, because all of us will be there who put our faith and trust in him. And we will see him for who he really is, not as the broken, bleeding saviour, but as the glorified king sitting on the throne, sharing the throne with his father, and we will be part and parcel of that great kingdom. Unfortunately, until that day, we've got to live as we live. Unfortunately, until that time, we would have put up with what we would have put up with. So, you know, this past week, uh, I am a chronic asthmatic. And all my life, I've had asthma. And this last week, I struggled a little bit with asthma. And uh, so, uh, I, I pray to God. All through the years, I pray to God, Lord, I'm a preacher. I need my lungs. Please, help me with my asthma. Nothing's ever happened. People said, don't have hands laid on you. People laid their hands on me, and nothing's happened. People said, take this medication. Every time they hear me, and I've got asthma, they'll give me a medication or some remedy or whatever. I've had millions over the years of these things coming my way. But you know what I've concluded? I think I've heard the voice of God say to me, Retif, stop complaining. Your asthma's in my hands, now get back to your place and to your job. 
And that's what I did. And so I decided to come here this morning and just wheeze my way through the circus. <laughs> and that's, that's what we do. And so there is hope coming. There will be a day when my lungs will be perfect and unscarred. There will be a day when, I'll be, when, I'll, when I, will, I will be in eternity in the fullness of a human manhood and the Lord Jesus Christ will be my King. And so for you, whatever difficulty you may have, whatever sickness you may have, whatever ailment you may have, there's a new world coming. And when Jesus said to that man, today you will be with me in paradise, and the man used the word kingdom, and kingdom and paradise put together mean ultimately the same thing. When, when, there's a day coming when that kingdom will be real, when we will be in paradise, and our king will be ruling, the perfect king, over a people who have been perfected, in a, in a new universe, under new heavens and, and, and on a new earth. What a great hope we have. Now you don't have a friend. You don't have a friend, you don't have a friend, you don't have a friend, and you don't have a friend who's got any hope to give you this better than that. None. There's no ideology, there's no philosophy, there's nothing that can compete with what the Bible says is going to come. And so when we read about the two thieves on the cross, we read that there is hope in the world. But the hope is bound up again in the crucified and risen Jesus and will be given to us in due course. And the last question I want to pose to you is this. I think that lots of people are asking the questions, in spite of all that you've said, in spite of that I'm living in this world, I'm battling and struggling with things you know nothing about, how do I know that God loves me? That's the thing that many, many people are asking. So there are events of life that seem to indicate that God doesn't get you. Why did that happen to me? Why am I always sick? Why am I always in the hospital? Why did my marriage break up? Why did my second marriage break up? You know, why don't my kids talk to me? And why did it, Why can I never get a job? And all of these events in life and all of the things that happen politically in our world and all the difficulties that bureaucracy makes us all makes us say, what is the point? Life is just a stroll from the moment you get up in the morning and take your first breath till you go to bed that night. It's just a struggle. And some people have a struggle because they don't actually even love themselves, you know. They think that no one else loves them and they don't even love themselves. Do you know that's hardly an audience I speak to where there isn't somebody who's sitting in the audience who looks in the mirror in the morning and says secretly to themselves, I hate you. They don't like themselves. Either what they've done or what they look like or what they've become or some mistake that they've made. There are people like that today. Life just seems crazy and God does not seem to be intervening. Why does he not intervene? Why doesn't he stop all the things that's happening in the world? He's got the power to do it. Why does he not stop it? And if he's not stopping it, how can I know that he loves me? Well, you see, when you look at the cross and Jesus down there with the two thieves, now you discover that God does love you because you know what the Apostle Paul wrote? He said that God proved his love for us while we were still sinners. He sent his son to die for us. You know, Jesus isn't waiting for you to say yes to him before he dies for you. He didn't wait for the one thief on the cross to say, Master, remember me, and then say, Okay, now you can come with me to paradise. It was all planned in the great mind, the eternal mind of God, long before it happened. And so when we read about the Lord Jesus on the cross, dying with these two thieves with these two different responses on either side of him we get a picture of God's enormous unspeakable indescribable love for us he loves us even though we are sinners he sent his son to die for us and Jesus is 
the true Christian. He loved you, my friend. He loved me, I know, before I was born. He loved you after you were born. He loved you while you were growing up. He loved you through all the mistakes you've made. He loves you now in your young adulthood or middle age or old age or whatever. He loves you every moment of the day and has never ceased since he put your name into his heart way back in eternity. And therefore he made a provision, a way of escape from the judgment of the world, the judgment that is to come, so that we might belong to him and be saved forever. So the only thing that I need to do now is to ask you how you respond to that and what you, what you do about it and how we, how we go about doing something about it. You know, when the Apostle Peter was preaching and people cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They heard the preaching and were struck to the heart and they said, what, what must we do about it? The Apostle Peter said to them, they ought to repent and be baptized, which was a way of talking about becoming a Christian, having the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what you've got to do. You've got to respond to it. You've got to say, it's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to agree with it. It's not enough just to sort of, yeah, yeah, that's the kind of preaching I like. I like to embrace that. No. Have you done something about God's great love for you? Have you responded on a personal basis to the love of God? Have you ever done that? Yeah, there are many, many people who will say, yes, I have. Uh, when I was young, I became a Christian. I was a school teacher. I used to sing in the choir. I used to do this, used to do that. And I've sat in the church and I've prayed a prayer. And, but nothing ever seems to happen. This morning, this Good Friday morning, is a morning when you... When you can do something in a new, special, special way today to say, Lord, I'm not going to live one more day without knowing for sure that I've signed up for your family. I've signed up for your family and I'm going to embrace you and believe the things you say about me and just and not just hope that it's true. And for that reason, I've brought something. I've got two things to give you this morning and I hope that you'll listen very carefully and if you can make use of it, you will make use of it. The first is this. I brought something with me called the Father's Love Letter. And this uh, little pamphlet explains to you the greatness of God's love for you. And you know what? Inside this little pamphlet, there's another little one that calls my response. You pray back to God. God's talking to you. You talk back to him. You talk to him. And then you put your name at the bottom and you sign it up and you put the space down in your table or you give it to Simon or Gillian or one of the other leaders here in the church and that way they will know that on this Sunday morning you did business with God now you may say I've been a Christian for a long time it doesn't matter it doesn't matter even if you go over in ink today what you've done in pencil in the past go over it and do it today and Simon will make some plan to make contact with you and pray with you to make sure that we're all on the path together to this new hope. And when he comes to see you, or if you give it to him today, then you will get a copy of this little booklet called The Real Easter, which is a great little resume of what we are celebrating today. And not only is it good for you to read, because it's also got a little prayer in it that you can use, but it's good for you to say, this is what I'm going to give to my friend. I'm going to give this to my daughter. I'm going to give it to my son. I'm going to give it to my brother, my sister. I'm going to give it to my friend. And say to them, this is what I believe. Won't you join me? And you hand it to them and let them read it, but you read it first yourself. So there you go. You can respond by coming to get the Father's love letter from me here in the front. 
And uh, when you've filled in the Father's love letter, you can do it this morning, you can do it at home, preferably this morning before you go, while people are milling around. You can just read and respond to it at your table and fill in your name, put it face down. Take the love letter with you, but leave the response behind and then we'll collect it and you'll be contacted and who knows what the future holds. Who knows? People, you don't know what's happening tomorrow. Who knows what the future holds? But because we believe what happened on the cross, we believe the Son of God died for us and rose again, went to heaven and is coming back, even, we, even though we don't know what the future holds, we can be sure that we know who holds the future. We don't have to be frightened anymore. Now let's pray. Our Father, we come in Jesus' name to pray that you will hear us today as we go over these old truths. Nothing new here, Lord. Just the old story of the Son of God who came from heaven to die on the cross for people like us. And the problem with us, Lord, is that we become cold so quickly. We, we just lose our sense of the greatness of it all so quickly. Will you forgive us for that? Will you help us to see the enormousness of what happened on the cross? Will you help us to see how cosmic it all is? And help us to see how personal it all is? And we pray that we may not only receive the good news of your love for us, but today in a new way express our own love for you. And may we live for you and by your grace be given the strength so that we may look forward to that great and ultimate hope that lies bound up with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this morning. Pray that you bless us all as we end the service in Jesus' name. Amen.